text for the message this morning is John chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. We'll read those verses together. You can find John 2, verses 1 to 12 on page 887 in the Pew Bible. Hear the word of the Lord. On the third day there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. Beloved Church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the text begins with the words, On the third day there was a wedding at Cana. If we look back in the context, we can see the last we were told about where Jesus was when he left the Jordan Valley, it's in verse, chapter 1, verse 43, to go to Galilee. And now we read that a few days later he was up in Cana for a wedding. So what wedding would Jesus and his disciples have walked these several days to be present for? Well, some have suggested that Jesus' mother Mary was getting remarried. That's why Joseph isn't mentioned here why she knew about the wine situation before the master of the feast, and why it mentions in verse 12 that her home is now in Capernaum. However, since Joseph was just mentioned by Philip, chapter 1, verse 45, and is mentioned again several chapters later when the Jews exclaimed that Jesus was the son of Joseph and Mary, whom they knew, that's chapter 6, verse 42, Others have then suggested that perhaps it was the wedding of Nathanael, because in John 21, verse 2, we read that Nathanael was actually from Cana, or perhaps it was a, a friend of Nathanael who invited Jesus and his disciples. The problem is, as we deal with these questions, the problem is that John, who is so careful to mention little details, does not tell us whose wedding it is. He does not tell us how many guests were there, nor why it was so important that there, need, there, there, there should be wine there. 
In fact, so little is told about the wedding itself that one begins to wonder whether we should focus our attention somewhere else. Maybe God is telling us something different. And it seems that as we read this, as we read the passage, all that John wants to tell us about is Jesus Christ. And if you notice this, and you're right. In our text today, the Holy Spirit reveals Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, the King of Israel. John chose the word sign to describe the miracle because it was a miracle that pointed away from itself to the truth of Jesus Christ that I preached to you under the theme, Jesus' first sign is wine without a vine. You see that this sign reveals Jesus' humanity and his glory. If you look in the form for solemnization of marriage that we have in the back of the book of praise, you'll see there that the church mentions Jesus' revelation of his glory at the marriage feast of Cana as evidence of the fact that Jesus, who himself was unmarried, honored the solemnity and the sanctity of marriage. Marriage between one man and one woman was instituted by God before the fall into sin as a foundational blessing for life, for civil society here on the earth. The Apostle Paul tells us that a marriage between a man and a woman reflect the relationship between Christ and his church. And every time we participate in a wedding, we can remember that promised marriage feast of the Lamb with his church when he will drink the wine new, when we will drink the wine new with our Lord and Savior in glory after his return. And so, just as the righteous and the sinless Adam rejoiced when God gave Eve to him as a wife, also the Son of God, the last Adam, joined in the celebration of marriage with rejoicing and with fellowship. It was a part of Jesus' righteousness, his obedience to God, that he wanted to make this wedding day special, to keep it special. For it is good and it's pleasing in the sight of God that we receive the gift of marriage with thanksgiving. It's good that we make the day special for the bridal couple with our support and our presence as guests. The mothers in our midst who have that special gift of making family events in our lives special, they understand very well this righteousness, the importance of joy in the life of citizens of God's kingdom. And Jesus shows also the importance of joy in the life of citizens of God's kingdom and the gift of marriage when he responds to his mother's observation that they have no wine. Mother Mary, she had a, that gift of, of knowing when, what, what makes the ingredients of a special occasion. And so she mentions that to Jesus. We read, she, she says, they have no more wine. Now, although the wine in those days was much more diluted and juice-like than most wines today, it was a special drink for festivities. It differentiated that wedding celebration from every other day of, of daily life. Running out of wine at a wedding 
in those days would be like going to a kid's birthday party and they run out of birthday cake. Or running out of dumplings at a Chinese New Year party. Or like hosting a, a Mother's Day brunch and running out of bacon and sausage and eggs and pancakes. Now as we look at it, we can see that on the one hand that's, that is a big deal. Because the couple could be considered to be no better than thieves if they invited someone to their wedding but did not adequately provide for them. On the other hand, as we, we look at this in the big scheme of life, it doesn't seem like it's really something that Jesus should be bothering about. No lives are in danger. No one is even sick. The marriage could still happen. And the problem of sinfulness doesn't even enter into the picture. Is Mary being reasonable in expecting that Jesus might do something to save a couple from experiencing some embarrassment? Mary knew that Jesus was the Son of God, the Son of God who, who left the glory of God to take on our human nature through her womb to save sinners from eternal condemnation. Did she really think that the one who came to fulfill the entire Old Testament sacrificial system would care about the embarrassment of a couple in Cana at their wedding? Well, whatever Mary thought, the amazing thing we see in our text is that Jesus did care. Jesus understood that human suffering can come in many different forms. He knew that our suffering is not just from persecution or suffering from our own sins that cause so much harm, but it also comes from our weaknesses and our failures. Jesus understands the pressures of cultural expectations and the anxiety that hosts feel when they run out of something. He understood the human condition, the misery of shame, the scars that can be caused by having a blighted reputation. God calls us to be hospitable. It can be hard to be hospitable. Jesus is truly a human like one of us. He understands that Christian desire to make a visit or, or an event enjoyable to the guests as a way of honoring God's good gifts of marriage, of fellowship, of communion, of saints. And even if we wrongly give too much attention to the opinions of others so that we allow them to make us feel guilty or ashamed, the gospel message of John 2 is that our Lord Jesus doesn't want us to suffer in these ways. Mary was not wrong to ask the Lord for help because it's good to pray to God to help you. Even when you ignore or organize a social event, ask Him to bless your efforts so that your family, your, your neighbors, your friends can see Christ's love in you. Our Lord God is not too spiritual to care about the things we may often consider insignificant side issues of life. The good news in our passage is that as a fellow human being with us, Jesus understood also the things that gladden our hearts. He understood why Mary pointed out that they had run out of wine. 
He knew the, the prophecies and, and the psalms that, that we read and, and sang. He understood why the promise of rich food and well-aged wine and feasting and singing that we read about bring joy to the hearts of God's people. God goes beyond the minimum of saving and rescuing us from death, but he also restores us to joy in his presence. The Christian faith is not meant to be only a list of joyless duties and obligations, but as the Proverbs say in chapter 15, verse 15, it is for cheerful hearts to enjoy a continual feast. The Lord doesn't just provide the mere basic necessities to survive, but he gives us life and life in abundance. And to illustrate this in the lives of believers, we as believers, as deacons in the ministry of mercy, we we need to have the same focus. When I was serving in Brazil, the deacons there explained that when they came to the, the poor with what was called a basic a basic basket of necessary food, the rice and the beans, they always included a chocolate bar in the basket because the people needed to know that in Christ we have more than just the basic necessities. Although it appears that Mary didn't understand the bigger picture of Jesus' life, and then we see Jesus' humanity there also. He had a, a mother who doesn't fully appreciate what God had called him to in this life. The sign that Jesus graciously provided joy to believers who deserved shame also pointed to his greater work that he had come to do. The sign reveals Jesus' glory. Well, in Jesus' words to his mother, we can see that Jesus is not only the son of Mary, but he's also the son of his heavenly Father. And that's already been clearly established if you look to John 1, verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. When Jesus is at the wedding and addresses his mother as woman, he makes it clear that even though she may not understand it, he has a higher calling to his Father in heaven. Together with the revelation of his perfect obedience to the second table of the law that we see in his reaction to this, this, this need at the wedding, our Lord Jesus also reveals that his divine power was able to help him in fulfilling the, the needs of the couple. In his grace, Jesus makes this clear when he tells Mary that his hour has not yet come. It's usually a reference to his cross and to his glorification afterward. Mary had to know that when Jesus was responding to her request and observation that they had run out of wine, he was not performing this sign simply to obey her wishes or to do a personal favor toward a friend. He wasn't doing this as a a magic show to impress his friends or even out of obligation toward the afflicted who cry to him, but rather everything he did and everything he said was directly connected to his purpose as Messiah. 
He received the request and he pointed our attention to his hour, to his work. And so with the first sign, our Lord Jesus distinguished himself from the other prophets in the Old Testament. In their prophecies and in the signs that they did in the Old Testament, they were always pointing ahead, away from themselves, to God and His grace and His salvation. That was coming in the future. Isaiah was pointing ahead to the Messiah when he said that there will be a great feast in heaven on the holy mountain of God. Before celebrating, he said it was necessary to repent of your sins, to trust in the Lord. John the Baptist as well was pointing away from himself to the Lamb of God. And then when Jesus came, he changed the message. Instead of pointing to another, he pointed to himself. In this life, for all that we need, the forgiveness and the protection and the feast on the Mount Zion that we read about in Isaiah 25, he didn't say those things are coming later, but he showed that they came in him. He had come to save his people from slavery to sins and punishment. He had come to grant new life of peace with God and their neighbor. And it was this truth, this announcement that was on Jesus' mind when he performed the sign. A sign of wine without a vine. And so we see in our text that our Lord Jesus saw six stone jars <coughs> that were used for Jewish rites of purification. That's in verse 6. The fact that these jars were made of stone and that their purpose was ritual cleansing confirmed that these jars did not have some residual wine left in them from before that might take away from this miracle, as some have suggested. The large number of jars, which would be a lot for an average household, but could have been there because of the wedding or because the owner of the house made these jars, help us to understand exactly how amazing Jesus' miracle really was. The Lord Jesus commanded the servants to, to fill the stone jars with, right to the brim. And so they had before them 120 gallons of water. They are then commanded to take from this water and to give it to the master of the feast. And although he had, was not aware of how this cup of wine had made it into his hands, we read he praises the bridegroom for the excellent wine. It's the most amazing and memorable display of the power of our Lord Jesus Christ that extends even to the elements. And not only was he compassionate toward the wedding couple, but he was able to restore the joy that belonged to the celebration of that sacred institution of marriage. And yet, Jesus' sign goes beyond that wedding in Cana. And it also reveals to us how he changes our lives because he came to pay for our sins on the cross. We can see this aspect of his revelation of his glory and the fact that he chose stone jars that were used for the Jewish rites of purification. When Jesus turned the water into stone jars used for purification, 
into wine, well then those jars could no longer be used for purification. And with this sign, Jesus was teaching us that you do not need to worry any longer about the stain of sins in your life when he is around. Jesus came to the world as our mediator to take care of our sins for us. Instead of focusing our attention on our sins and our failures, your need to earn favor with God by your works, you can focus your attention on Jesus Christ. His sign pointed to himself, to his hour, to to his work. There was no room in the stone water jars for the purification water anymore. For they were filled with the message, the declaration of the grace and the bounty in Jesus Christ. There is and can be nothing left for us to do to earn favor, to to gain salvation when we believe in Jesus Christ, when we share in everything that He has already done. With this sign, Jesus announced that He was ushering in a new era. He was ushering in a new focus, a, a new understanding, a new way of living. Living in God's grace. Living from the hand of your heavenly Father, living in the forgiveness of your sins in Jesus Christ. Jesus' message was very clear. He did not come to burden people with rules and laws, but to fill their lives with joy and with celebration. And when we struggle with peer pressure to be like everyone else, Shame for those times when we don't get it right in the eyes of people. We can remember that sign that Jesus gave. The sign announcing the fullness of his work. His gracious work for us and in our place is enough. It fills our lives to the brim. The miracle at the wedding of Cana was a sign that declares to us the real down-to-earth consequences of his death on the cross. The sign points to the wine of gladness at the Lord's Supper celebration. The sign that so richly serves and honors marriage here on the earth also points the church to that marriage feast of the Lamb in the kingdom of heaven when the bridegroom returns to live with his bride forever when Jesus Christ returns to live with us, his church, forever. The sign confirms that it is Christ who will take us to that rich banquet promised in Isaiah 25. We must understand well, brothers and sisters, how the grace of Jesus Christ transforms our life, transforms our perspective, how he gives us that continual feast, celebration, for he has done everything for us and in our place. And Christ understands every weight and every burden we experience because he shared in our humanity. He knows about the cultural pressures and expectations maybe that you're, you're feeling even now at this, this very moment. He understands the anxieties of the, that come with the everyday routine that, that we experience as a reality in our hearts. 
but he also shows the way out in him. He calls us to lift our eyes up and, and look to him. With this sign of wine without a vine, the Lord directs our hearts to his gracious work on the cross. Brothers and sisters, he gave his life for us to purify us from all our sins so that we may celebrate. Celebrate today. We may celebrate every day as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. He wants us to live with this joy already today. May we rejoice in the abundance of life in Jesus Christ. Amen. We'll now sing together Psalm 36, stanza 2, where again we speak of the, the vast depths of God's mercy toward us and who also allows us to drink from the rivers of delight. Psalm 36, stanza 2, we'll sing that standing if you're able to stand. <clears throat> 